Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find, catch me a catch. Matchmaker, matchmaker, look in your book and find me the perfect match. How many of you recognize that? It's from the recently revived Broadway play Fiddler on the Roof, and it's these young women just crying out for the local town Yenta, the matchmaker, to find them a man. And of course, it follows the scene in which, the, I mean, they, there follows in the scene the, the mother's response. Their mom sings back in the voice of the Yenta, Hoddle, Hoddle, I've found a match for you. He's kind, he's young, okay, he's 62, but he's a good man, right? So the, the message of the scene is, d be careful what you wish for, but it raises this matchmaker role that kind of interests us all, right? Bachelor and Bachelorette stories continue to show on TV, and Match.com, eHarmony, Elite Singles fly through click after click after click. This idea of being matched romantically and having help at it is something our culture has kind of absorbed and moved from ancient yentas to modern algorithms, right? We do it with jobs, too. ZipRecruiter.com, Monster.com, probably many of you found your way to the job you have because of some algorithm or some yenta. Somebody who said, you know what would be perfect for you, and knew somebody who knew somebody, right? We like yentas. And so I'd like us to imagine this morning that one of the things that God does, God is doing with us, one of the things God does is function as a sort of yenta, right? God wants the flood to come through and needs somebody to build a boat, so he says, I've got a job, I've got a man, Noah, you do this. God has people in slavery and wants to bring them out, God says, Moses, you'd be good at this. Why don't you go? Match made. And so on through the Old Testament. God wants to bring salvation to the world through a, a person who would be God on earth and says, Mary, I know you're young. I know you're kind of out of the way, but would you, through an angel, says, would you? And she says, as you wish. Right? God does this yenta thing of matching us up with jobs that God has to get done in the world. So I want to imagine this morning what the God of the universe might be calling the church of our time to, and what the God of the universe might be calling Woodmont Church to in our time. Now, historically, the church has had three main jobs when it, when it concerns the world. We've tracked with three main things that we call mission. In fact, as I travel around the nation and talk to churches, I always want to see what their mission board is doing. I got to meet mission leaders in your church yesterday at the breakfast. Um, what often follows from that question, what do you all do as mission, is one of three things. The first is evangelism. Jesus went by the, famously went by the Sea of Galilee and looked at Peter and Andrew and James and John and said, you're, you're, all, you're all right at fishing for fish, but why don't we go fish for people? And there followed this kind of amazing growth, not only of the Jesus group, but then of the church after Jesus said, why don't you all go out and find others who will follow me? And here we are 20 centuries later and several continents away, right? Evangelism is one part of the mission of the church has been ever 
Many of you have invited people to church because this church is bigger than it used to be. Many of you have shared your faith. Evangelism is one of the things that God calls us to, to do in the world. A second one is service. And I learned yesterday, and I know from the bulletin, and I know from just talking to Clay, that you all do a lot of service around here. Jesus said that inasmuch as you've done it, to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it to me. And in that context that you've fed me, you've clothed me, you've, you've uh, visited me in prison when I was sick, all those things. You all major in service from what I've heard. And service is a thing to which God calls churches throughout the ages. Mission boards deal with that, right? Build habitat houses. Feed at soup kitchens. Things like that. The third one that tracks with mission for churches around the nation and churches historically is justice. So if one is evangelism, two is service, three is justice. Here we have uh, Micah 6, 8. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly? And uh, MLK described what justice is, and we see it done in churches often. Uh, He told the story in in a parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, you know, I'm really happy that that Samaritan stopped and helped the poor guy in in the ditch, but we got to talk about why there are so many muggings on that road, right? That's MLK saying justice starts upstream and says, how can we fix the problem rather than just bandaging people? And so justice is one of the things, and you all worked through an excruciating issue here a, a couple years ago of gay marriage as it hit and divided our nation. You all walked through that issue, and it was painful and hard, but it was an issue of justice. How do we sort this? What is right? What is fair? What is good? What is God's call? Justice is the third, right? So evangelism, service, and justice have historically been the missions of the church. But did you hear that passage that Clay read this morning? As Clay said, we pray the Lord's Prayer often in worship, Right? Our Father who art in heaven. We don't very often pray, I pray for, for these my disciples and for the people who have believed through their words that they all may be one. And it doesn't stop there. The first part is Christian unity. Right? The first part is, I want my disciples to be together and one. But the second part of the prayer is really astonishing because if you were, if you were assigning Christian unity to one of the, the boards or committees of the church, to which one would you assign it? Probably fellowship, right? We all want to be able to get together and have potlucks or get together and sing kumbaya or maybe you assign it to music partly. You just want people to get along. And so you have them say peace to one another at the beginning of the worship service. And by the way, I love a worshiping community that has to be interrupted five times in order to get worship started. You guys are awesome. It was so cool to see you reunite with one another and then share the peace with one another, right? So we would assign it, if, if it were you and I, we would assign it to the fellowship committee or the music committee or somebody would help us get together and be nice to one another, right? Jesus assigns it to the mission committee. Did you notice? He doesn't just say, I pray for these, my disciples, and all the people who will believe through their words that they all may be one. He then says, so that the world may know that you sent me and the world may know that you love them even as you love me. Isn't that weird? Christian unity, our ability to sing Kumbaya, is supposed to resonate and and kind of radiate through a world outside and tell them something about God. 
I never would have thought that before a few years ago when I read this prayer and read it again and, and realized he's praying for us to be together so that the world will change. Right? So how are we doing at that? We are, as Christians, the authors of the Inquisitions. We're the authors of the witch burnings. We're the authors of the religious wars in Europe. We're the authors of the the fundamentalist liberal controversy in the United States. We're the authors of the culture wars, really. We kind of started the culture wars that continue to divide our nation. It seems like we've picked up those first three missions and run with them. But this fourth one, we've kind of slept on, and it's a bad time to be sleeping, right? It's a bad time for a, a church that's called to unity, to loving one another across lines, It's a bad time for us to sleep because, you know, in 1960, American parents, and it was so great to see all the kids here, right? It's just awesome to see how many kids are, you know, like little birds waiting for clay to speak. Um, The, in 1960, poll takers asked parents around the United States, would you be deeply concerned if your son or daughter married somebody from the opposite political party? And the the percentage who said yes to, they'd be deeply concerned if their son or daughter married somebody from the opposite political party was 4% in 1960 when, you know, Donna Reed sweaters were happening and and Sputnik had just recently flown. You know what the number was in 2010? 43%. And by now, it's over 50%. In the United States, we don't want our kids to marry them and them is not defined racially or even religiously it's defined politically it's red blue I don't want my blue kid marrying your red kid or vice versa right isn't that astonishing in the in the weeks and months after the the 2016 election in the first six months one out of every six Americans who were surveyed had lost a close friendship because the two voted, on, voted for different candidates. And one out of 10 marriages in the six months after the election, uh, one, of, one out of 10 divorces happened because of one voting for one and one voting for the other. Can you believe that? Well, you can believe it because you know that some of you have lost friends and some of you are just kind of avoiding that friend who disagrees with you or they're avoiding you right? You and I feel the division of our nation in our bones, and all of that was before the Justice Kavanaugh hearings. We've spent three weeks as a nation intensely embroiled in another polarizing event, and there are all kinds of issues within it, and there are all kinds of opinions in these pews, but we know that once again, we've shown ourselves as a nation to be a, a, a vastly divided lot, right? So it's a It's a hard time to sleep on unity. William Bennett, who served in the the Reagan cabinet as Secretary of Education, was interviewed after after the hearings and said, I'm very worried that we're headed for Civil War number two. And he was only echoing a concern that's been rising around the nation. 35% is the probability number that former State Department diplomats who have worked in Rwanda and South Sudan and other places where there have been civil wars, 35% is the probability they place on us entering an armed civil war within the next 15 years. It's a hard time for the church to sleep on unity, right? But there Jesus prayed that they all may be one and that that would impact the world. 
It all sounds pretty bleak. World's coming apart, sleeps, uh, church is sleeping on it. But as, uh, as Clay mentioned, my book is called A House United, How the Church Can Save the World. There's an optimism and a hope in that title that I want to hope with you this morning. Because if our world is in need, then we get to hop over to Jeremiah 29. Do you know the story behind that passage? It, it was a short passage that, that Clay read for us. But in Jer Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah is writing from a smoldering Jerusalem because Nebuchadnezzar and a Babylonian army around 600 BC has come mowing through and taken down the temple of Israel and taken down the palace and marched all of the leader class off to Babylon against their will. Right? So the, the city is still smoldering and Jeremiah takes up pen and writes a letter to these exiles who are confused and their tendency would be to bunker down. They think that if we can just ride this out, that's all we want to manage. They're angry at the Babylonians, they're a little angry at God. One of them wrote, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Right? Their, their tendency is to bunker down and try to last it out. And what does Jeremiah say to them? Plant Build houses and plant gardens and give your children in, in marriage and have them marry one another. Seek the welfare of your city, says Jeremiah. Seek the welfare of your city, for in its welfare lies your own. You know what the, the Hebrew word is behind that word welfare? Shalom. How many of you have ever heard that word before? Just hearing it makes you feel peaceful, right? It's not just peace as in cessation of war. It's wholeness. It's seek the shalom of your city. Not a lot of shalom going on in, in the American corridors right now. And here's Jeremiah writing to ancient Israelites, but also writing to us. A group that Jesus has prayed will be one and wants to make one. Jeremiah writes to us this morning and says, seek the shalom of your city. And I've got a pretty good idea how that might happen. Michael Hidalgo is a pastor in Denver, Colorado. He's one of, the, one of these evangelical megachurches, Denver Community Church. He's the senior pastor. Right? Well, I got a call from him a couple weeks ago because he had, had read the book. And, and he called and said, Alan, we've got to talk to one another. I'm the pastor of this big evangelical church. And we had a two-year discernment project, see if this rings any bells, about what whether we should welcome gay and lesbian men and women into our fellowship and how that should go, and it was rugged, and we made it through, and we're the same size as we were before because we honored everybody. And you know, after we did that, it made the news in our town, so I was asked to speak by people who had never asked me to speak before. Picture evangelical pastor of a big church getting calls from the ACLU to speak at their events, right? Well, he was a little dumbfounded by it, but he went over to the ACLU event, and they thought they, were, they had him in, his, in their tribe. They thought, okay, a red guy has come across and become blue, and now we've got him, so we'll have him come speak, and he'll be one of those, like, like MSNBC says, well, this is a Republican talking and, and saying this, or the, uh, Fox News says, well, Democrats talking and saying this. Um, he's asked to speak, and, and he gets up and he says, y'all think I'm going to trash my brothers and sisters in the evangelical church. They're some of the best people I know. We made a decision discerning, but these are awesome, faithful people. So don't try to get me to defame them because we're all in this together. And you know what? That made news too. 
Michael Hidalgo said, I'm going to do that John 17 thing, and I'm going to seek the shalom of my city. I've got 100 stories of this. 125 people come out for courageous conversations in Scottsdale, Arizona, because they want to be part of the, of the solution rather than part of the problem. There are churches in Westport, uh, Connecticut, and, and Wellesley, Mass, and Manhattan Beach, California, and Lincoln, Nebraska, and Wyzetta, Minnesota, and all these churches are, are taking notice and saying, we can be part of the solution. And as I've spent the last couple days at Woodmont Church, I've noticed that you could too. In fact, you are supremely gifted to help in this area. I, I go, I see a lot of churches. The tendency is for people to seek echo chambers, right? The tendency is people seek their church or, you know, church shop in order to get a church that will say the things they believe already, right? And so you get red churches and you get blue churches. You guys are pretty purple, I did straw polls over the weekend and found that the, the estimates ranged from we're 50-50 to we nudge over to maybe 60-40 red to blue, and, and one went over to 70-30 red to blue, but you have in your pews the conversations that need to happen in the United States, and if you learn to do them, if you learn to have these conversations, you can teach the world how to do it. Right? Imagine Woodmont Church being the go-to place when the town council get a, can't get along. Imagine them saying, I don't know what else they do over at Woodmont, but those people know how to talk to one another and traipsing over and hitting up Clay and hitting up y'all and saying, we need help and you guys are good at this. Please. Imagine churches like Woodmont getting legislatures, legislators and educators talking to one another about budget. Imagine being the place where your city comes together. Not on one side or the other. That's an, old, that's an old song in 21st century Christianity. But in the middle, getting people to talk to one another. Imagine being a place where people come together across difference for the common good. Right? How many of you think that our nation would be better off if the 70% of us who claim Christianity as our religion were to do what I just described for you. 70% Christian, and a lot of us are fueling the fire. Woodmont's turn to put it out. Friends, in, in the book of Esther, God did another one of these yenta things. And I'll close with this. In the book of Esther, it's a, it's a dire situation. The Jewish people are about to be exterminated in, a, in what amounts to a genocide. And uh, Mordecai has a cousin named Esther who is in the king's palace. And he, he comes to her and pleads with her, you've got to talk to him, you've got to talk to him, you've got to use your power, right? You've got to use your position. And finally, in his final plea to Esther to save her people, he says, it may be that you've come to this royal station of yours for just such a time as this. Friends, the, the words from the book of Esther echo out across this sanctuary this morning. It may be that Woodmont Church, growing and vital and mixed, has come to this royal dignity for just such a time as this. 
And I believe that because I believe God is a very good yenta. Amen? Amen.